Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. And yet, we have got a great show for you again today. So, as I said before, we have a double hour of just incredible people writing about amazing heroes. We just got to hear Glenn and what a heroic journey he has been on. I mean, beating cancer four times, my goodness. And to be here and not only just be about getting the message out there, but to talk with people about how you can, we all can contribute to this. Well, we're going to be talking about heroes of a different nature or maybe not in a moment uh, because we actually have um, a very, very cool guest joining us here today, David Weber. And with more than six and a half million, I got to say it again, right? You ready, Benny? With more than six and a half million copies of his books in print <laughs> and 14 of his titles on the New York Times bestseller list. That's a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> he's crazy. On, I think he's on to something. Uh, David Weber is the science fiction publishing phenomenon of the decade. Yeah. And so here he is, a lifetime military history buff, of course. Uh, he is joining us here today because, you know, his his interest and his passion about history carries forth in his fiction. And that's really kind of the cool thing. So we're going to be talking with him about many aspects of his work, his books. And I have the book in front of me, a new novel starring Honor Harrington. Benny, can you see the book? I do. Mission of Honor. Nice. I like it. I know. It's good. Nice and flashy. And you see her on the cover? She's pretty cute. Saluting. She's got the uniform on. Yes. And so he's joining us here today because we're going to talk about why do women heroes kick butt? But what is the fascination with women heroes, as a matter of fact? You know, one of the things that so many people uh, talked with us about, uh, you know, Last time we had the producer, director, the writer of the whole Batman series. You know, he joined us on the show. And the the burning question was, when are you going to do Catwoman again and do it right? And so for a while, there was a big secret about that. But what is it with our fascination of women heroes? And how is it they be- have become so prominent in film? And if you're wondering, oh, what is she talking about? What film could that be? Well, let's think about Avatar for a moment. Uh, but beyond all of that, you know, what is it about David that has made him so incredibly su- successful? What is it about the people that buy his books that just wait and hunger for the next version of them? But what more importantly is it about the role of women in society that has helped this become a phenomenon? David, thank you for joining us. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I, I, I almost didn't recognize myself in that shining, shining introduction. But I got to tell you, you've got it going on. Yeah, well, I sold the, I guess, let's see, I sold the first novel in 1989. So I've been doing this for a while. Um, but, yeah, and, you know, I was listening to, to what you were saying in, the, in, uh, in your, your opening remarks there. Um, and... Um, you, you made a comment about um, how society has changed. Um, I, I can't remember exactly mm-hmm. the way that you 
put it. Mm-hmm. But I think that it's a it's a very telling point that one thing that's happened is that we're we're growing up. I hope um, as a society, and we're we're our our perspective, our view of what women are and are not capable of uh, has changed enormously. When I started reading science fiction, which was a long time ago, uh, the primary function of the heroine was to flail her dainty feet until the hero got around to rescuing her. Exactly. Okay, well, these days, if you go back and you look at... I, you know what I call that? Hmm? The Donna Reed of science fiction. <laughs> okay, I, I I may borrow that. Yeah, go, yeah, but it's true, isn't it? I mean, we yeah. went through the Donna Reed phase, yeah. and there's nothing... I'm not putting that down, because it played a very prominent role. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we did go through that in science fiction, mm-hmm. the Donna Reed. I mean, look at all the, the scary movies that came out in the 50s, right? Yeah. You didn't see a woman killing Godzilla. No, no, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, if you if you saw a woman, she usually had King Kong, you know, swinging her around until someone rescued her or killed the monster anyway. Right. And no one could have done that role better than Jessica Lange, you must admit. No, I will give you that. <laughs> I will give you that. Some okay. roles become the permanent property of the of the person exactly. who does them. But actually what I was going to say is that if you if you look at uh where we are I think that in many ways the the key the the the, the critical um, uh, the breakpoint let's say in uh, in female heroes in in the science fiction genre in oh, well let's, let me be a little more specific in the in the cinematic uh, science fiction genre that you either have to look at Sigourney Weaver in Aliens yep. or Linda Hamilton in Terminator yes. Yes, uh, because yes. in both of those cases, you had you had very strong female characters, and you had female characters who basically stepped up and took care of business, did what had to be done, because there was no one else to do it. And when you look at it, that's really the reason that most male heroes have done what they do, if they're convincing characters. Um, it, I, I think it, I can't remember exactly who it was. I think it was Paul Anderson, who was another science fiction author who said that an adventure is someone else being cold, wet, hungry, miserable, and terrified far, far away from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and I think that what has always, the, the most convincing uh, heroic characters, I believe, have always been the heroic characters who don't do it for the adrenaline rush, um, who do it because this is what they have to do to meet their responsibilities as a human being. And that's precisely, if you look at it, what you have with Sigourney Weaver's character in the in the uh, pre- in the Alien movies, yeah, and what you have with Linda Hamilton's uh, character in in uh, both of the first two Terminator movies. Um, and and I think that part of it is not just that we are looking at female protagonists, female heroes but that we are looking at more fully developed heroes. Okay. I love the and, way you put that. Well, and, 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 and women make just as good fully developed heroes as men do. Uh, it's no longer a matter of, you know, who's got the biggest muscles. Um, it's a matter of who has the most courage, the most intestinal fortitude, uh, who is going to step up and shoulder 
the burden. Now, one problem that we had for a long time, um, and still do to some extent, where uh, creating believable uh, female action heroes, for want of a better term, uh, is concerned, we didn't have a lot of templates to use. Female writers for a long time in Western fiction had plenty of male templates to use if they wanted to write about a male character who was off doing heroic things in war or with the musketeers or whatever. But we didn't have a lot of female templates in two senses, in the sense of a literary template or in the sense of an actual experiential template. We didn't have military commanders who were female. Uh, We didn't have uh, uh, female military officers. When I started, uh, when I wrote the first Honor Harrington novel in 1991, uh, which was, gosh, a long time ago now, um, I didn't really sit down to say, well, I think I'm going to do a female character because female characters are going to be popular and the books are going to sell. Mm-hmm. Um, I have always had a lot of strong female characters in my books. In fact, the majority of them, not just the Honor Harringtons, the, the protagonists are female. I don't know why that is exactly, except that I really like strong, competent people, and I really like women, and therefore I write about strong, competent women. But at the time that I started writing about her, there really was not in contemporary American, or even for that matter British experience, somebody I could use for a good template. There certainly wasn't anybody in Hollywood, and for a long time, Hollywood writers seemed to feel that the only way you could produce a believable female military commander or soldier was to have them out testosterone the guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite characters from the uh, second uh, um, Aliens movie uh, was uh, the the uh, that little... Oh, yes. Rodriguez, was yeah. that her name? Yeah, uh, Vasquez, right? Vasquez, yeah. Yeah, Vasquez. Okay, loved, loved her. Vasquez. Okay, but but if you look at it, Vasquez... She actually was that movie. She was that movie, really, in a lot of ways. I think so. Yeah, I I agree. But but, but the character had to be more of a man than any of the men in terms of the (laughs) traditional male military attributes. Right. Okay. Well, Honor Harrington doesn't do that. Mm -hmm. Um, Honor Harrington has her own command style, which is not necessary. When When I create a character like Honor Harrington, the character is created is female, is male, whatever, and then the command style that they use is the one that works with their personality rather than necessarily being that of a a, uh, mm-hmm. a pattern mm-hmm. that came from somewhere else. Um, if you look at uh, Babylon 5, which, by the way, I was fanatic devotee of, um, you had really, when you look at it, you had two main strong female characters in that. You had Ivanova and you had Delin. Hold that thought for when we come back from break, because I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk with you about that. And I also want to talk with my very special guest here, David Weber, on how some women heroes don't start as heroes, perhaps start as villains, but then in some way... We sort of look at that villain as a hero in her own way. We do that for women a lot. Don't seem to be able to do it for men. We'll find out why. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Show. My only chance for happiness. 
Remember, for our dogs and cats to live long and happy lives, just like people, they are what they eat. Wellness carefully selects wholesome ingredients to create food you can trust to provide the foundation of your pet's well-being. True wellness means every ingredient has a purpose in every recipe they make. You can trust the quality of all ingredients in wellness from their source to your pet's bowl. Visit wellnesspetfood.com to find a pet specialty retailer near you. Wellness Natural Food for Pets. This is where true wellness begins. The search is over. The Dr. Pat Show, talk radio to thrive by, is your connection to tens of thousands of people waiting to hear your empowering message, waiting to choose your product or service. Dr. Pat's goal is to connect you with the people that want high-quality products and services created with love for humanity and the earth. Products and services like yours. Be the business that joins the buzz. The Dr. Pat Show Buzz. The buzz of talk radio to thrive by. Connect with people that value conscious living and mindful thinking. Living life full out. Have your business be identified with this powerful and inspiring show. Join the buzz. Be the buzz. Let the Dr. Pat Show talk radio to thrive by. Be the conduit to those who would benefit most from your services. To sponsor the Dr. Pat Show, call Dr. Pat at 206-523-5522. That's 206-523-5522. Let our success be your success. Are you ready for a joyful and successful realty experience? Today's real estate market is challenging, complex, and constantly changing, and is one of the best times in years to buy or sell a home. But you'll need to find the right person to help you on your journey, one who understands the opportunities and will make this the best experience of your life. Kathy Staup is just that person, an experienced real estate agent who knows the pitfalls, can spot the red flags, and guide you to a successful, positive purchase or sale. Kathy Staup can spot the real deals, saving you time chasing a listing only to find it's not available. Known as the positive real estate agent, Kathy will make your next sale or purchase easy, fun, and successful. Start this journey with positive energy. Call Kathy at 206-276-1070. That's 206-276-1070. Or visit PositivePathHome.com. PositivePathHome.com for the most positive realty experience of your life. Are you feeling stuck? Do you want to be free from fears and doubts and finally feel good about yourself, but you just don't know how to get there? Dr. Schaub's Accelerated Breakthrough Program provides you with the tools and solutions to go beyond your limitations and achieve self-empowered confidence. Call for your free phone consultation at 866-903-MIND. Visit CellularWisdom.com. That's CellularWisdom.com. Everybody, more than a woman. Who can ever forget that dance scene? <laughs> who, who can ever forget Nobody that? Can. Nobody. I want to go out and get myself a white suit. <laughs> and the platforms? No, skip the platforms. You kidding? Come on, having Pat. a hard enough time on, walking Pat. myself with the goldfish uh, and the But heels. we, you know, but that's an interesting point because the woman in that movie, Saturday Night uh, Fever. 
uh, the woman that played the dancer in that movie mm-hmm. was a powerful woman in a lot of ways and, and, and a heroine in a sense. Uh, but, uh, you know, today, well, it's really true. It's really interesting to see how the evolution of, of, of women in film, women in, women in fiction have changed over time. Or the question is, have they? You know, or is it how we're actually portraying women heroes? Well, you know, who to better best talk about this is David Weber. As I said before, he is the author of so many, many incredible sci-fi and other novels. But more importantly, he stays on the New York Times bestseller list. And there's a reason that he does. And so today we're talking about why do women heroine, heroes kick butt? And not just in the movie or the books or fiction, but why do they? What is our fascination with them? And have they have they eat their way up. I don't know. I'm going to ask David, David about this. Have they eat their way up a bit to equaling men? Some people in Hollywood would say not yet. David, thank you for joining us here today. Let's talk about this because you were just going to talk about, you know, some of the more, how should I say, some of the more popular uh, women that uh, most people know about. So thank you for joining us here today. Thank you for having me. Um, I think that you you're on to something when you talk about the difference between uh, uh, women heroes and powerful women. Um, I think that both of them are beginning to find more acceptance than they used to. I do think, though, that sometimes with, uh, with the, the question of a, well, for example, a female action hero, uh, uh, a, um, a Sigourney Weaver or a... Um, you were you were using the example when we were talking during the break of Catwoman. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, um, I think that um, and Zena and Zena. Mm. But I, I think that part of it is that as long as they're being action heroes, they're safely squirreled away. <laughs> okay, <laughs> and, and by that, okay, but, that's nicely put. Well, but, but 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 you see what I'm saying? Yeah that they are in a category where they are larger than life, mm-hmm. and therefore they are not any kind of a, uh, a threat to anybody's view of how things really ought to be. Now, I'm not saying that that is the case across the board. I'm saying that I think that could be a bit of a factor upon occasion. Um, I also think that um, there is an element of... Um, cutting across the stereotype that makes female action uh, heroes so uh, attractive uh, to us. I write about societies in which the military is equally open. They don't care, you know, what your gender is. They care about us whether or not you can do the job. Right. At the same time, even while I'm doing that, there is a little bit of an extra fascination for a lot of my readers in the sense that I'm writing about something that is not really perceived as as uh, the way things really are right this minute. And so it's like, wow, look at her. Uh, she uh, uh, can do all these things that other women can't. <laughs> okay? I think that happens sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, do th- I think that in addition there is, even for those of us who, like myself, don't have any problem at all with women in, in, uh, in command positions or anything else, there is still that, uh, that novelty feature in seeing a woman actually given the opportunity to exercise that kind of authority 
and handle that kind of responsibility. Um, I think that what we're really, what I'm really talking about here is the the element. For want of a better term, we're in a zone. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, actual complete acceptance of female equality in these areas, and the novelty of it. Yeah. Let me ask you a question, because there's one thing that comes to mind, and this relates to the time we live in. Do you think that G.I. Jane was ahead of its time, so to speak? Do you think, because right now you get more replays of G.I. Jane than you did when the movie was actually out. And, you know, it touched upon some very, very controversial issues at the time it came out. Now today, of course, not so controversial, uh, controversial. We have women in Iraq carrying guns. And other places in the world, right? Well, yes, yes, and no. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, um, I actually had some problems with with GI Jane, in part because it was. Remember when we were talking before yep. the break about the need to out testosterone the guys? Yeah. Um, what we have right now in the American in the American military is still officially uh, no women in close combat which means no women in light infantry forces, no women in uh, special forces. They can operate in a support capacity for special forces, for example, helicopter pilots, that kind of thing. But at the same time, what we have are a lot of women in what are not technically combat specialties, combat MOSs, who are co-located with units because they're providing military police functions, they're, they're truck drivers, they're helicopter pilots or whatever. They're actually operating in a combat zone. And in part, if you look at Afghanistan or Iraq, the, the dividing line between combat zone and rear area gets a little hard to define. Mm-hmm. But we have women who are finding themselves in combat situations or what would certainly be considered combat situations, even though officially... They're not in combat specialties, and officially, they're not they're not part of a combat unit. Now, outside those close combat uh, areas, we are seeing more and more women in military roles. For example, if you're a crew person on an aircraft carrier, okay, whether you're technically combat personnel or not, if that ship comes under attack, you're in a combat zone, okay. And I think that that's what we're going to to see as a continuing, evolving situation. I would say, uh, back many years ago, I was talking to a uh, a colonel uh, who at that point was serving with the Defense Intelligence Agency. And he was talking about women in combat. And he made a thought, I thought, a very good point. He said, um, I would have no problem with women in in close combat roles, if we were going to be fighting the Germans or the French or the British, but we're going to be fighting third world nations where women are regarded as property and where women are likely to receive, be singled out to receive extra and severe punishment for usurping a man's role. And he said, that presents some moral and ethical problems which concern me much the way that the U.S. Army, for example, tried not to assign uh, people with Jewish surnames 
to infantry units in Europe fighting the Germans. He said this is a uh, uh, an ethical dilemma that the American people really need to face and to understand before they rush ahead to commit women to combat. I so, think that's I think that's what we're trying to grapple with now, in part. Okay, so what what is the grapple? You know, in your words, coming I, from you know best-selling novelists who also is very in tune to what goes on in society. What is the and, and I'm gonna I, and I like this. What is the major grapple? What do you think is on, on people's minds most? I think it depends. Okay. I mean, is it that one scene from G.I. Jane? There there are two different grapples. Right, because there's that one scene in G.I. Jane, right, that most people just completely could not watch. Which one are you talking about? It's the one where, you know, she was captured and tortured and blah, 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 right? The ultimate, the ultimate, right, for a woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, and I th- and that is exactly what the colonel was talking about. The example that he used, I, there, when I said there are two grapples, one grapple is from the people who are pushing for women in combat roles, and who are basically saying, and they have some legitimate points when they when they say this. They're saying it's a volunteer military, and we're not compelling anyone to join the military. If a woman wants to serve her country in a combat role, she should have the opportunity to do so. On a philosophical basis, I cannot argue with that statement, and I won't. But the, uh, the example that my colonel used was, he says, suppose that I'm commanding a squadron of ground support aircraft, and I have to send two folks out on a mission, and I'm supposed to pick my two best pilots, one of whom happens to be male, one of whom happens to be female. They're both shot down on the operation. They both bail out. And I hear two days later that my male pilot was, you know, savagely beaten by the villagers when he, when, uh, when he, when his parachute came down, but he is now in military custody, um, and expected to survive. And the last that anybody saw my female pilot, she was being dragged off behind a barn by 30 men and was never seen again. He says, tomorrow I have to pick two pilots to fly. Who do I choose? Mm. Um, and that's the grapple. Yeah, that's from right. That side. Right, right. And, and the same not, grapple that showed up in GI Jane. Exactly. So, okay. And, and, and right. it's not it's not just misplaced gallantry either. No, 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 no. Uh I totally understand it. And you know, and, and it's something that gets talked about quite a bit. And yet we still have fascination with fictional uh women heroes. And we'll talk about that and the other sorts of grapples when we come back from break. David Weber is joining us here today. Why do women heroes kick butt? And what is it about women heroes that we love? And why doesn't that always translate to our society? I don't know if you all have an opinion about that and would like to chime in. 1-800-930-2819. That's our toll-free number. 1-800-930-2819. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Don Brecky. I chose two years ago to get on the Take Shape for Life program. I've lost 30 pounds and kept it off over two years. I have more energy. I get out of bed without back aches. It's been a life changer. Hi, I'm Del Gardner. With the Take Shape for Life program, me and my wife lost 90 pounds together. And that was two years ago, and we feel great. Get healthy with the Take Shape for Life program. Get clinically tested products from Metafast and support from a free certified health coach. Visit simpletolose.com to learn more. Results will vary. Consult a physician before beginning weight loss program. Call or go online for complete program and discount details. 
details. Ladies, are you living an inspired life? Do you yearn for a more passionate, dream-filled life? Here's Linda Joy, founder of Aspire Magazine, and she has a gift for you. Aspire has launched its Mission to Inspire initiative with a commitment to give away 100,000 one-year digital subscriptions to women around the globe. Every subscription comes with a multitude of free gifts from our team inspiration partners. To claim it all, go to AspireMag.net today. No purchase necessary and live an inspired life. Ugh, aren't you tired of the same old negative vibe? Hey, Valerie, have you heard about TransformationTalkRadio.com? No, what's that? Dr. Pat is launching a new network. and she... Dr. Pat? Dr. Pat. How many hours is she going to be on? It won't be all Dr. Pat. She'll be joined by her friends, transformative hosts from around the globe. TransformationTalkRadio.com is a 24-7 network. 24 hours of Dr. Pat and her guests? No, 24 hours of Dr. Pat and her hosts. Oh, very good. When does this start? This starts in August. Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited. Where is it going to be broadcast? You're going to be able to hear her in Seattle, Boston, Connecticut, New York, Rhode Island, on over 300 cable radio stations, and on the Internet everywhere. Listen live at TransformationTalkRadio.com. Great. We should spread the word. Absolutely. Spread the word. Go to TransformationTalkRadio.com. Reclaiming Your Fearless Nature with Annette Bingham is about giving you the encouragement and tools to explore who you truly are and then to fearlessly move towards reclaiming it. This program will empower you to become proactive in your own journey to power. On the show, we will be exploring any tool that will help you take back control of your wellness. Topics might include all types of energy work, vibrational healing techniques, connecting with nature, body work, and much more. Tune in each Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time to reclaim your fearless nature with Annette Bingham. That's Tuesday at 5 p.m. right here on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. It's Talk Radio to Thrive by Women Heroes. Who are they? Why do we love them? And why do we believe that they do kick butt in a lot of ways? Joining us here today to talk about it, somebody that knows a lot about women her heroes, especially in fiction. David Weber is joining us here today. Mission of Honor is, um, I believe his latest book starring, uh, Honor Harrington. And, you know, we're talking about, well, I mean, we're, first of all, we're talking about David. What is it about his books that has made him so extremely popular? I mean, we're not just talking a few books that he sold. We're talking about millions of books that he has sold. And what is the message? What is it that people are so eager and hungry to learn about? in terms of these women, powerful women in fiction. And we are talking about, for a moment here, how that either translates, transfers, or moves towards what we expect of women in our society today. David, thank you for joining us here. But before we kind of jump ahead, I'm wondering if you could just give people information about your website and how they can find out more about Uh, you. Yes, well, they can find me at davidweber.net. Um, that's a Weber with one B, not two. Um, and they could also go to, especially for the Honor Harrington books, they could go to the Bain Books website. That's B A E N 
BainSite.com. Um, and among other things, uh, the Bain site has uh, what they call the Bain Free Library, which has 100-plus titles in it, uh, including several of mine that you can download totally for free uh, to read and sample and decide whether or not you like the writer. Excellent. Excellent. So, you know, there is a grapple, and we were talking about that before the break, about what makes complete sense in terms of reality versus fiction. And we were talking about, you know, the popularity of your your fictional characters and the ones that, and we're talking, you know, specifically today perhaps maybe about um, Honor Harrington, of course. And, um, and, and yet we see other uh, fictional uh, characters that are portrayed by real people in our society. So I guess, you know, to finish up the conversation about grappling, isn't this like a, a multifaceted question or answer, really? I mean, when we go to see movies like Alien or Avatar, for example, mm-hmm. and, and, and not just, I'm not just talking about uh, Sigourney Weaver in that, you know, but Zoe Zaldana as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And by the way, none of these actors were recognized for their acting. Because they were buried in the special effects. They were buried in the special effects, but what people don't know is those special effects were not, uh, you know, old technology animation. And so, uh, you know, you're going to either live or die by how well they do. But Mm -hmm. the point is this. You know, here are some characters that, you know, we look at. How much of our attraction to them is for the character and how much is for the actor? And I give those two examples because clearly Sigourney Weaver was Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. We knew it. And so we immediately, well, Sigourney, not we, I immediately. I thought that incorporating her into mm-hmm. that movie uh, Brilliant. was sort of a, a class act. Brilliant. Uh, it, was, it was a nod to the impact that she's had mm-hmm. on, the, on the genre of science fiction and specifically a female uh, action heroes, and she was a very good choice for the role, I thought, for her ability to portray it. Um, I think that you were talking about a multifaceted, uh, multifaceted question. Mm-hmm. There's a feedback loop that operates here. We are hugely influenced by what we see and what we read. I've often said that every writer steps onto a soapbox the instant he starts writing, whether he wants to or not because his view and his values and his concept of what makes a good human being and what makes a bad human being are going to infuse everything that he writes. When you have someone portraying a character on film, in addition to what the writer's input may be, you have the actor's input and the director's input. And all of these flow together and present to you the character as either a good person or a bad person, or somebody who, like Catwoman, when you and I were talking about it earlier, Mm -hmm. makes the transition from one to the other. And so what we see in in cinema predisposes us, I think, in many respects, for what we're willing to accept in real life. It's part of the learning process that we go through. That's one thing I worry about sometimes, given what we put into some of our movies. But we have to recognize that it happens and that it's always happened with storytellers. Um, I tell people that science fiction are the fair, is the fairy tales of a technological society, that science fiction does the same thing for a, uh, a scientific-based society that fairy tales did for one based on magic and spiritual powers and, and goblins. They're cautionary tales, they're warning tales, they're inspirational tales. 
And all of that flows together into the reader's perception. Same thing happens in movies. And so, on the one hand, we're seeing a greater acceptance on society's part leading to a greater acceptance of heroes, not just action heroes, but strong, competent female characters in film and television. And then that, in turn, makes us more willing to contemplate them in real life. So I think that that's a positive feedback loop uh, that we're looking at. Now, I would say that what makes my characters in particular work for people in many ways is less the fact that they're female than the fact that they are responsibility takers, that they are characters who, facing uh, a bad situation, never say, well, it's not my fault that this happened but dig in and try to do something about it. The fact that so many of them are female is an added attraction for a lot of my readership, but that's not the fundamental reason, I think, that the characters work for people. Now, I have a lot of readers who are um, military or Mm ex-military, which makes me feel good because it means I'm getting it right. Yeah, they, also, they wouldn't even read the book. <laughs> yeah. You weren't. Are you yeah. kidding? There'd well, be a I, blog I, all over the place about it. Well, I also have a lot of female readers. Yes. Um, and one of the things, back in, back in the day when I was starting <laughs> to read science fiction um, in the 60s and, and the 70s, the target demographic, really, whether people talked about it very much or not, was um, adolescent male. Adolescent male geek, actually. Um, and now the, the demographic for both um, print and electronic fiction, and when I, the reason I say electronic is I'm including the gaming industry as mm-hmm. well as, as movie and television in there, mm-hmm. recognizes that there is a much broader following and that a lot of it happens to be female and that you have to give all of your readership, if not equal time, fair time. Okay? That's part of what's going on here, I think. Oh, that's interesting. Um, you know, it's interesting because, uh, first of all, uh, there has been, as as you just pointed out, and definitely by the sales of your book, there has been, and it's not new. I do not believe this is new. And the reason I don't believe it's new is if we go back in time, uh, and actually in segments of time, and you look at the popularity of Xena, right? You know, the goddess warrior. Uh, every week people were tuning in. And then when people, then when, then when they started to stop playing the reruns, people were like ballistic mm-hmm. about it. Uh, the same thing for the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Yeah. Uh, and a television series that nobody could believe was not renewed. And the reason I bring it up is because I want to ask you about, about this in the context of your books and what people expect next, so to speak. Mm-hmm. You know, here we have Xena. Right. I don't even know why that show stopped, honestly. But I'm you know, I'm not part of that genre. But definitely the Sarah Connor Chronicles. Right. Mm -hmm. Here you had powerful woman, Sarah, Mm -hmm. the son, John, who was mostly a flake during the whole thing. But then you had Summer Glau, who played Cameron. The Terminator, who absolutely caught everybody's attention. And when you look at the comments about why the series was terminated, 
Isn't that interesting? Why the series was terminated, (laughs) you know, you don't really get much of an answer. You know, you get sometimes good shows are canceled. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I I don't know what the actual uh, viewership. Well, I want to ask you, was it too much of the women? on television in the in that kind of role i mean it's one thing to go to see a terminator movie right and see um you know the many facets of that but you know what is it about week after week after week having women heroes well i'm gonna i'm gonna be interested to see how like this new uh series um covert affairs uh works you remember remember when um that and uh, rizzoli and and the other one right yes remember nikita Mm. when 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 that was on what I'm saying is that it's not just fantasy and science fiction. No, it's not. That Mm-mm. you're seeing these, these, these strong female characters in. Now, one thing that I have observed is I haven't seen too many homely uh, female action heroes. I haven't seen too many homely male ones either, you understand. I was just going to comment on that. So, right. so I think there's, there's, there's a degree of personal mm. comeliness involved here. Mm. Uh, that, that Hollywood. Kind of, but, Hollywood. Yeah. You mean Ellen? Yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah, but what I have noticed, and, and this seems to me to still be true, is that they're willing to go with male action heroes who get a little longer in the tooth than they are with female action heroes. And I would like to see that change. Oh, we'll talk actually. about that when we come back, because no kidding, I would like to see that changed. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of an interesting comment. <laughs> A little long in the tooth. Let's talk to David when we come back about what that means. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with the Dr. Pat Joe. Do you want to increase your prosperity, even in this economy? Now through September 17th, show host Madeline Gerwick is offering selected class CDs for 35% off. Her Prosperity Release CD allows you to release fears related to not having enough money, so money can flow to you more easily. The Paper Piles release will help you let go of old clutter and paper piles that will clear out stuck energy so new opportunities can arrive. Plus, her 2010 Good Timing Guide is available for $9 while supplies last. To order or learn more, go to AskMadeline.com. That's A-S-K-M-A-D-E-L-I-N-E.com. Or call her toll-free at 877-524-8300. That number again is 877-524-8300. These 35% discount specials are good now through September 17th. So order today. Are you tired of hanging on to things in your life that hold you back? Get ready to reclaim your fearless nature with Annette Bingham. Annette has been a catalyst for helping people achieve maximum results. Known for her breakthrough approaches, she will assist you to unleash your true power. Her unique distance healing techniques have been empowering people globally. Get ready for a life-changing event to step into your fearless nature. For more information, visit AnnetteBingham.com or call 432 770 
800-800-4062. Are you taking too many oral pain pills and concerned about side effects? Are you having trouble getting to sleep because of the pain? Well, I'm Lou Paradise. I had the same problems you have. Cured my pain, eliminated pain pills and their side effects by developing Topperson Pain Relief and Healing Cream. Topperson relieves pain without side effects. It doesn't burn, it doesn't smell, and it doesn't stain. But don't just take my word for it. Doctors, pharmacists, and pain specialists are using and recommending Topperson and ending the suffering for thousands of people just like you. We know you're hurt. We want to help. We're so sure Topperson will work for you, we offer a money-back guarantee. So if you want pain relief with no side effects, ask for Topperson or call 1-800-959-1007. That's 1-800-959-1007. Topperson, the last pain medicine you'll ever need, and you can sleep on that. TransformationTalkRadio.com Transforming the world one listener at a time. So amazing how this world was made. I wonder if God is a woman. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive by David Weber joining us here today. Why do women heroes kick butt? Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, he knows quite a bit about this. But we are fascinated right now with, and I'm just going to, I'm going to, I don't want to just say science fiction. I just want to say fictional characters that, you know, we look at, uh, in our lives and we rush to find out more about them. We rush to read about them. We rush to see them. And is it a, is it a reflection of either what we want more on our society or is it simply that we love fictional heroes? David, thank you for joining us here. You know, we were finishing up a little bit. And I would be remiss if I did not mention this whole craze we're going through with vampires. <laughs> and I don't know that it's a new craze. It's just a renewed craze in a lot of ways. Um, but, the, you know, my question is, is it that we are fantasizing about the fictional part of the heroes because we're not necessarily seeing that right now in our society? Or is it just a phenomenon that has been around forever? Well, I think in in some ways it, it's been around forever. I think in other ways it's it's new. Um, I remember when the original Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Came out. <laughs> I do too. And I was like, this, this was so wrong on so many levels, and yet it was so right. <laughs> you know, um, but that I think, and yeah, that and like Angel and all of yeah, yeah exactly right. Yeah. Well, I think that I think that part of the, the, the part of the fascination for the for the, the vampire, part of it has always been that the vampire is the ultimate seducer, um, and you've not, I don't know if you've noticed, but in classic vampire literature, the vampire is not really too often interested in the uh, five foot eleven, horribly overweight, middle aged guy. Okay, he he's looking for the the toothsome uh, young young damsel. Mm. Mm. Um, I think that was that's always been part of it. I know that um, I have uh, uh, my sister in law, 
uh, has always been fascinated by vampire literature, and I asked her one time why, and she said, because they're so sexy. And Interesting. I like, okay. Um, I think that another part of it is that they are sort of an ultimate outsider. They are this, this brooding, cursed, yet very powerful figure. Uh, very few vampires chose to be vampires. When you look at the literature, the, the main body of, of vampire literature, they're, they're, they carry an affliction. Um, and, and what's really fascinating, and I think the big difference between the original vampire fiction of, say, Bram Stoker and where we are today, yeah. is that we're dealing with the vampire trying to deal with the affliction. Right. Okay, the original Count Dracula could have cared less. <laughs> exactly. I mean, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I almost want to, I, I, okay, I want to credit Anne Rice for that, because in a lot of ways, Louis was somebody that you could not hate. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, and so, my friend of mine said, how could you even relate to him? He was like the pathetic vampire. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, my God, you know, I don't know. Isn't that why we are so attached to Edward right now? Mm-hmm, I think. Well, and, and if you look um, at um, Forever Night, mm-hmm. uh, which was another uh, vampire uh, uh, series, there were vampires on it that you couldn't mm. you, you couldn't hate. I mean, even, even Nick's relationship with, with the guy who made him a vampire was a love-hate uh, relationship. Um, I, I think that that's a big part of it. Um, and like I say, the big difference today is that we are looking at the vampires who are trying to deal mm-hmm. with their, trying in many cases to be decent people, despite the fact that they carry this, this curse around mm-hmm. with them. Um, and I think that that resonates very strongly with people. Uh, the notion that they're they're not just they're not using what's happened to them as mm-hmm. an excuse to be a monster. You they're know, trying to avoid being a monster. Now, not all of them are. No, no, no. I mean, and a friend of mine emailed me and said, "Ask you know, ask David about True Blood." But I, I don't necessarily <laughs> ask you about True Blood in that way. But I, what I do want to ask you about is spirituality and the role of spirituality that I, at least, I'm noticing in fiction, sci-fi, books, movies, you name it. Mm-hmm. There's this new place for spirituality. Uh, that or that I believe is showing up, and you know I wanted to ask you about that, especially in what you do. What have you discovered in the 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 level of spirituality, or what I perceive to be the rise of it, in some of these books, television shows, characters, fiction, or otherwise? Well, let me just start right out by saying that I'm a Methodist lay speaker, mm-hmm. which kind of I always try to throw that out just to put the floor under what I'm going to say. Okay. Um, I think you're, you've absolutely put your, your finger on something. I think that the degree and the kind of spirituality that we're seeing obviously is going to come in a whole bunch of different flavors. But I think that it is in part a reaction against the, uh, the eviction of spirituality uh, from fiction, uh, from literature for so long. Um, and I think also that what you're dealing with is a part of the universal human condition. Most of my characters, while 
I can only think of one series where the primary crux of the conflict is religious. I'm doing a series, uh, the Safehold series, um, in which we're basically redoing the Reformation with a few mm-hmm. new changes. Mm-hmm. Um, but most of my characters have a spiritual component. It may or may not be something that is on the surface of the character, but it's there for the character when I build the character, if you see what I'm saying. Yeah. And I think that very often readers and viewers pick up on things that are not explicitly pointed out to them that are part of that, that, that give some of the consistency to the character. The reason the character does certain things, whether it's ever drawn out in so many words, well, he did A because of B. They sense that wholeness that, that of the motivation, which involves a spiritual component. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we are also seeing uh, a, re- a return to spirituality in some ways as a reaction against uh, the increasing, uh, I don't want to say technophobia, but the, 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 the numbers of ways in which people are looking upon technology as a threat mm. rather than as the Victorians would have as the font of all good things. Um, I think that uh, it's probably wiser to consider that bad things can happen, too. But I think that um, human beings have a temptation, uh, not a temptation, but a tendency uh, to worry about what can go wrong more than what they hope will go right. Uh, it's a standard precautionary sort of uh, uh, hunter-gatherer survival <laughs> Mechanism, and so, for example, with the situation in, um, well, with nuclear power, for example, mm-hmm. people are more concerned about what we're going to do with the wastes and the potential damage, etc., rather than looking at well, what is this going to do for us in terms of reducing greenhouse gases mm-hmm. and carbon footprints and everything else. I think that spirituality, the, the, the resurgence of it, in part reflects that anxiety that people feel with many areas of technology. Mm -hmm. And don't you think Avatar is really in huge support of what you just said? In a lot of ways, the movie Avatar. I mean, to be that successful, and they were really clear about what their spiritual baseline was, don't you think? I think so, yes. I I do. Um, My wife and I have have an ongoing debate. Uh Um, I accuse her of being a, a tree hugger, and she accuses me of being Neither one of us actually feel that way. <laughs> so I have a new term for, for you. I have a new term for you both. Yes. You're strip huggers. Yes. Okay, good. There you go. But, but we went to see Avatar. Yeah. And um, we both thoroughly enjoyed the movie. Okay. Mm. Um, I think that the, the most, most of the people I know today who have the least patience with greenhouse gas fears and et cetera, are still far more aware of the need to steward the environment uh, right. than anybody was 50 years ago. Okay? Uh, so 20, what I, what, 20 years ago, I think. Well, yeah, yeah. okay, but I would, I'm 58. Okay, okay right, I'm, right. All right. Um, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that it's kind of like um, I, I have a, uh, done a couple of collaborations with my friend Eric Flint about uh, West Virginia town that gets thrown back into 17th century mm. Germany. And one of the points that is, is that we 
the most right-wing 21st century American has more in common with the most left-wing 21st century American than either of them have with a 17th century German nobleman. All right, let's hold that thought because I have to bring you back to talk about that, David. I have to bring you back to talk about that. David Weber, everyone, thank you for tuning in to the Dr. Pat Show. If you've missed any part of any of this, go to drpatlive.com. We'll see you next time, everybody. Enjoy. Let's go out in a can be seen.